Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. Coming up, I'm going to talk to the great Cody Benjamin from CBS Sports about the first half of the Eagles season so far and what he's seen with the birds and around the NFC and NFL as a whole. So we'll dig into some predictions that he and his CBS friends made uh, in a recent piece about what's going to happen here in the second half of the NFL season. So we'll get to that coming up in just a few minutes. Plus, I'll give you the thing I'm most proud of that I got right before the season, the thing I got most wrong, the most surprising and disappointing Eagles, and my Eagles predictions for the second half of the season. That's all coming up here on Eye on the Enemy. But first, I want to get you over to our special guest. He's a friend of the podcast, been on with us a number of times before. You, of course, read his stuff at CBS Sports all the time. You, of course, follow him on Twitter at Cody J. Benjamin. It's the great Cody Benjamin from CBS Sports. Cody, welcome back to Eye on the Enemy. How are you? I'm doing well. And you know what? It's kind of a, uh, it's almost a little bit of a relief, isn't it, to not be talking about the Eagles uh, during this bye week. <laughs> you know, a little less stress for all of us. Yeah, we get a little bit of a respite. There's, I think that's that's a nice thing. Uh, you know, it, it's never going to go too far from our faces, but uh, that's it is nice to talk to, to understand there is there are 31 other teams in, in the rest of the NFL, and uh, you know we should talk about them too. So uh, we're going to do that here uh, in the next few minutes, but we are going to start off talking about the birds and. Uh, as I, I like to have the outsider's perspective on what they're seeing, because here inside the Eagles fishbowl, everything is probably a little bit more distorted than it ordinarily it would be if you were looking at it from the outside. And so uh, at the midway point, they're in first place in the NFC East. They're three, four and one. Um, Carson Wentz has been all over the place. Doug Peterson and, and the defense have been up and down. And I guess from an outsider's perspective, where are you on the 2020 Eagles? Oh, man. I mean, I think, honestly, I don't think the perspective is that much, um, in this case, that much different than what's going on in uh, using the term they use, the fishbowl. I think that um, if you just look at it, I mean, the results of the last few years have shown that um, this team, I mean, since 2018 has been a, a middle-of-the-road team, and they, and they have done some really good things uh, when it's crunch time in the season. Uh, you know, Doug Peterson's December record, you know, it, it's good. And so that that does matter. I mean, you can't discount the fact that um, this team doesn't quit. I know it sounds like a cliche, but um, there, there are many scenarios where you could look at teams that are underachieving. And um, that if there's one thing you can say about the Eagles under Doug Peterson, it's that they, they don't ever really check out. Um, yeah. They may be underperforming, uh, but they've yet to do that. And so um, – it's very ugly though, still. I mean, objectively, you know, since 2018, they've started slow, but this has been, I mean, easily the, the worst start to a season for both Doug Peterson 
and Carson Wentz. I think the creativity has been lacking offensively. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, it's easy when we're watching the games to pick on Carson Wentz and, and we should be picking on him because these are mistakes you can't be making in year five. But at the same time, it's just, this is what happens when you're talking about bad teams or bad organizations. It's, it doesn't come down to just one player because um, the game planning around Carson Wentz has not been great. Um, the roster construction around Carson Wentz has not been great. I mean, they should be very thankful that they stumbled into this uh, Travis Fulgham yeah. turning into a number one receiver because, I mean, my goodness, uh, what a revelation that's been. But I, I just think it's it's been a total package, and yet um, the cliche that, that we've been all, you know, it, it's the joke. If anyone's making a joke about the NFL right now, it's, it's about the NFC East. And so um, the one thing that they can cling to is, yeah, it, they've started so ugly, but it really doesn't matter. I mean, they come out of this bye week, and, and maybe long-term it has ramifications if they delude themselves into not making changes on the roster. But I guess this is just a long way of saying it has been as ugly as I think Eagles fans admit. I mean, I think if you're watching those games against the Steelers and Ravens, which they lost, I would have felt better about those games than I did the wins over the NFC's teams, even those even though those mean more. So yeah. a lot of time for them to get it together. Uh, but it's been a concerning trend, uh, especially on offense, just the creativity and the execution. Yeah. And I think as Eagles fans, we're left trying to figure out, you know, who I don't, I don't like trying to figure out who's more to blame just to point a finger at somebody. I want to know who's more to blame so that it can get fixed. And that's the thing is, is this all Carson Wentz regressing to the point where, when he looks at the defense pre-snap, he thinks he sees something that actually isn't there or he's reading the wrong thing. Uh, is, he, is he reading the right thing and still trying to force the ball anyway? Is it, or is it the fact, you know, we talk about injuries a lot with this football team. This football team has been very injured. He's had a rotating cast of characters coming in and out of the lineup, guys to get used to a changing offensive line pretty much every week. And then you've got all these new offensive voices, Rick, Scan Rich Scangarello, mm -hmm. just among them and you know press taylor gets elevated and so you've got you're trying to incorporate all these new ideas the thing that that i find about this eagles team that holds them back the most is that they don't know what they want to be it doesn't seem to me they 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 don't really seem to have an identity and i, mean, I remember in 2017 and even in 2018 you could see the scripting of these plays they built on one another doug would do something with a formation earlier in the game he'd bring it back later in the game but throw a wrinkle in it and defenses would be confused i just don't see anything like that with this team any any kind of building a game plan where that one play in the first quarter feeds into a play in the third quarter that can that's designed to get a matchup problem it just seems like they they got they have a collection of plays and a playbook and they're closing their eyes and pointing sometimes it you know that that's to me as much as anything else with this team as in addition to Carson Wentz in year 5 regressing so i just do, do you fault one more than the other yeah, and I hate to, for any Eagles fans listening and feel like they've just been hearing this every week, I mean, that, that's just the reality of the situation, I guess. And, and what I like the point you made about, it's not necessarily just to um, throw the blame on someone, it's to try and find a, you know, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to dissect the problem and figure out how can this be fixed. Um, a few weeks ago, I mean, when they started so poorly, um, before they kind of showed some fight against the, the Steelers, the Ravens, and then won the NFC schemes, um, I did a story actually where we assigned blame between Howie Roseman, Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz. Mm -hmm. And for me at that time, I mean, Howie Roseman, they're very close because they're all, you can't unlink them from each other. Yeah. Um, but to me, Howie Roseman was on top just because yeah. 
Um, the roster construction, I mean, just we've been over it. I mean, Eagles fans have been over it. Too much reliance on older guys and, and you know, by nature, uh, injury-prone guys. Yeah. Um, but we've seen Carson Wentz can overcome that. I mean, he can – the practice squad guys, that's working. I, I think right now the biggest issue, uh, like you're talking about, there is some kind of a disconnect between – leadership here and i mean what do you want your identity to be and then as far as here's a question i would pose and i thought about this during the the giants game you know when um and even the cowboys game um when carson Wentz is struggling how many eagles fans would agree that that if jalen hurts was put in the game it almost feels like doug peterson would be like this burden would be lifted off and almost like when nick Foles came in why is that i mean why is that I believe that if Jalen Hurts went in, and I'm a big Carson Wentz um, advocate, I think he should be the quarterback. I think he can turn it around. But I think there's something, there's some kind of a disconnect between whether it's Doug allowing too many voices in his own head, whether he's not putting his foot down to make this offense his own, whether it's he, he can't figure out how to coach Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz can't figure out how to receive coaching. Something is off there. Um, because Carson Wentz has had good stretches. They look at the end of last year. But ever since 2017, when he went down, I mean, Nick Foles comes in, Doug simplifies the offense. Um, when Jalen Hurts comes in, the few plays he's in, I know we haven't seen him for a full game, but it just feels like if Jalen Hurts went in, the offense would click because for some reason there's a disconnect there. And I, again, I'm not advocating for you got to start Hurts. I just think it's more about this relationship between Doug, Carson, the offensive coaches, and, and they need to figure that out. That's a great point, and we don't talk about that enough, but you're right. It has seemed that the Doug-Carson relationship it was off to such a great start in 2017 because they really were working in sync with each other in 2017 before he got hurt, and since then it seems as though Doug has had more of a rhythm with other quarterbacks than he has uh, with, with Carson Wentz, and that's the other thing too is you know with, with Carson – is it is he trying to do is he trying to to overcomplicate things instead of just taking what's there? I know that's been a criticism for for him as well. Trying instead of instead of getting the 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 eight yard pass on first and ten, he he tries to go downtown. And sometimes we've seen that work. The Boston Scott touchdown in New York was a good example of, against New York was was a was a you know a good example of that. But yeah, it's frustrating because you've we've we've seen. I think the thing is we thought we knew what we had in Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz. And now it feels like, do we, do we still believe in these guys? Do we have what we thought we had? And, and that's the most troubling. Yeah, and it's troubling because, again, this isn't uh, one or two games. This is half a season. Yeah. Um, we saw the creativity kind of wane a little bit over the last few years. I mean, it, again, they, they fought. They've made it back to the playoffs. And they'll probably go to the playoffs and host a home playoff game. And if they win that... I mean, we're not going to be, you know, we're going to be back to uh, we're all in. But, yeah, I just think and it's hard to figure out whether, you know, it's Carson Wentz uh, just forcing things too much and this is who he actually is. Um, I think there was a philly.com column just this past week talking about they went back to Doug Peterson's book mm -hmm. and we're looking at, you know, what he likes in a quarterback and talking about that Super Bowl season and where he really compared um, Carson Wentz favorably to Brett Favre and talked about how, He's okay with the guy taking risks. And so that makes you wonder if he still has that mindset, is he deep down okay with how Carson Wentz is playing, being this boomer bust guy? And then that just raises questions about, um, yeah, w whether that's sustainable. Because yeah. if they were in the NFC East, I mean, 
we'd be, we'd be uh, having a different conversation. Well, let's talk a little bit about the NFC East. I mean, historically speaking, this is shaping up to be maybe the worst division in NFL history. Um, it's possible the Eagles or some other team could go on a run here and uh, maybe make it look a little bit better overall. But at the moment, it's looking really ugly right now. I, I guess let's start off talking about Dallas. Um, I'd like you to say some horrible things about the Dallas Cowboys, please. Go ahead. <laughs> it's not it's not uh, hard to do that right now. Yeah. I mean, obviously, um, you know, we'd be talking about it. It'd be a totally different thing, I think, even if Andy Dalton had a, a competent or a healthy offensive line. I mean, the weapons that they have on the outside, there's no excuse. I mean, Amari Cooper goes missing way too often, and, and you can, you know, pick apart Zeke Elliott. doesn't really look explosive at all right now. But the weapons they have in this kind of a division, in this kind of a season – um, if they were just a little bit healthier, I mean, you'd be looking at them still as the favorites. But right now, I mean, you've got – you're doing the, the very ugly quarterback dance between Cooper Rush, apparently, and Ben DiNucci, whose sidearms were fun to watch, but <laughs> maybe not very productive. Yeah. Um, I think regardless of who's coming in there, whether it's Andy Dalton, Ben DiNucci, I mean, that – it just seems – it just feels like a lost season there. Um, and so – uh, the defense has struggled. Obviously, the Eagles made them look better than they are. Um, but I, I don't have many good things to say yeah. about the Cowboys. Yeah, that's what I wanted to hear. That's that's fantastic. Okay. Yeah, and I just wanted, it reminds me this Cowboys season reminds me a lot of the '94 Eagles season when Randall Cunningham went down. The, the Eagles had gotten off to a 4-0 start, but he broke his leg against the Jets, and the season just spiraled downhill after that. And that's what that's what the Cowboys season kind of reminds me of. You know, they were playing. They had a good – their offense was good. Their defense was lousy, but the offense was putting points on the board. They would be the favorites if Dak was still in there. But with him going down, you're, I think you're looking at a, an absolute death spiral for that football team. And it reminds me a lot of the 94 Eagles. Or, uh, no, was it, not, was it 93? It was the 93 Eagles. Pardon me. The 93 Eagles uh, uh, was the year the – you know, uh, when uh, they got off to – it was in the game where Eric Allen had that incredible interception return for a touchdown. Uh, and Bubby Brister was the backup quarterback. And – straight downhill at that point. I mean, Bubby Brister is Andy Dalton in this scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think honestly, um, even though the Cowboys made it close and, you know, Carson Wentz urged them to try and take that game. Um, if I were looking at the rest of the season, I mean, I would almost rank it in terms of, um, I guess how much the Eagles should fear their rivals. I mean, I would almost rank it number one, Washington, yeah. number two, Giants and number three, Dallas, just because of, their situation because the Giants, you know, Daniel Jones is, uh, he's kind of like Carson Wentz and being a boomer bust kind of a, you know, he'll will you back in the game, but give it away. Um, but they've, they haven't given up either. I mean, as bad as their record is, Joe Judge has them competitive. Mm -hmm. And then in Washington, you know, Kyle Allen doesn't necessarily scare you. Um, but, you know, quarterbacks have come in and lit up Jim Schwartz's defense before. They also have a, a tough defense. Yeah. Yeah. The great defensive line that, that Washington has and, and Washington's already won a game against the Eagles this year. They play again in the final game of the season. So uh, we, there'll be a little bit of a, a wait until the Eagles get Washington, but they get New York uh, coming off the bye. So who is, who do you is, is the favorite in the NFC East right now? Is it Philadelphia simply because of the quarterback? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's just, uh, I think if you're looking for it to go uh, down to the wire and uh, Obviously, that Week 17 Washington game is, yeah. is one that you'll circle. Um, the Eagles should be able to beat the Giants again, e even if they don't. I still think it's um, I, I think it's Washington that's that's mm -hmm. the uh, the favorite, just because um, I, I think some people have compared them 
you know, very different situation in terms of quarterback and, and coach and situation, but they just, they are like the Eagles in that um, I think that their defense has kind of done the heavy lifting so far. Um, and they could spring a big play here, here and there with Terry yeah. McLaurin, you know, guys like that. So um, I would look at Washington as the, the top dog. Oh, or, no, it's, terms of, I guess when you're, when you're picking a favorite for the NFC East right now, just because even though they look so ugly, Carson Wentz, Doug Peterson, that duo you're taking over over the others. And that's fair, no doubt about it. Um, before we move off the Eagles, I did just want to talk a little bit more about Travis Fulgham. I, one of the unlikeliest NFL success stories in recent memory. Um, I, I'm trying to remember another guy like this who, who, came, who came from out of nowhere um, and, and had the kind of start to his career the way Travis the way Travis Fulgham has had. I can't remember one in an Eagles uniform necessarily. And uh, just talk a little about, about what has made Fulgham s- seem like such a natural, how did teams miss out on this guy? That's a great question. Um, one guy that I think of and a little bit different skill set, but somebody like a Victor Cruz who kind of, um, yeah. you know, just kind of floats around just for a little bit, didn't get a lot of buzz coming out. And then he turns into uh, one of their main, you know, I think Miles Austin was floated around too, you know, yeah. with Dallas. Um, yeah, the Eagles don't usually get those guys. I mean, um, you know, we, we try to, in, in Philadelphia, I guess, talk some of those guys into existence. I mean, yep. I can think of, uh, you know, a Paul Turner or, yeah. um, and some go on like Raheem Mostert at running back went yeah. on to do bigger yeah. things, but, um, Greg Ward, tinier example, but Travis Fulgham, just, I think a good comparison. He's, he's everything more than what they'd want from Alshon Jeffrey right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got the. Uh, a similar kind of a bigger body type. He's not going to, you know, uh, wow you necessarily with his deep speed, but he beats guys and he makes tough catches. And um, he's just plain and simple. Um, You know, same way that Greg Ward kind of became a favorite target for Carson Wentz down the stretch last year. He just, he does his job. I mean, it's as simple as that. Um, You know, when Greg Ward was doing this, it was everyone breathes a sigh of relief. He can catch a six yard pass because for how many years, it's a 50-50 shot when you're throwing it to Nelson Aguilar. Um, and so with Travis Fulgham, it's almost like it's, it's astounding how quickly he's become such a trusted receiver, not only for Carson Wentz, but for Eagles fans. Like the game is on the line. You want him throwing to Travis Fulgham, and that's yeah. astounding yeah. At how quickly that's happened. I think even if Alshon Jeffrey were out there, I mean, I, I would bet that Travis Fulgham is at least a few steps moving faster than him. Yeah. Um, he, he's got the body type. Um, and he's got the quarterback's trust. I mean, he, he's got trust like Jordan Matthews had. Yeah. Um, he's got trust like uh, – and yet he, he moves a little better. I just think he attacks the ball. He does everything right, and, and he, the plan simply just does his job. Body control, too. You see body control from him like you see from really, really good wide receivers, and that's such a huge deal at that position to be able to make adjustments and come back and you know, get above the defender on, on those, on those 50, 50 balls that Eagles receivers have had such a trouble do such trouble doing over these last few years. Um, give me one NFC team this year that has been better than you thought they were going to be coming into the season. Cody, one team from the NFC that's been better than you thought they would be. I would go with the Panthers. I know that they're, they're under 500. Um, I know that, uh, in that division, there's a good chance that they'll still finish, uh, at best at 500 or even below. Um, but I think, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is a guy that um, he's always had a, a relatively high floor, mm. but a relatively low ceiling as a quarterback, at least when you look at what he did in Minnesota um, before he went down with those injuries. There was still 
some question marks about whether he was going to put a team on his back. And, and not that he's done that necessarily in Carolina, but he's, I think he's done more than expected, at least in my mind. And so um, I think everyone was curious to see what Matt Rule did with uh, the Panthers, but they've been competitive. I mean, if you look at those close games, uh, it's, it's kind of the situation or I would compare it a little bit to the 2016 Eagles. I mean, they're structured a little differently, but when you can lose close games in a year where you're clearly uh, rebuilding the roster with some younger guys, that's a big, that's a big uh, promising sign for the following year. And, um, you know, right now I think you would take, if you had to choose uh, their prospects or future prospects of them over say the Falcons, I mean, I think you're going with, with Carolina. I mean, even if Teddy's still just a bridge guy, um, I think promising things there out of, out of the Panthers. Obviously, the NFC team that I think has been most disappointing is Dallas. Uh, is there another NFC team outside of Dallas that has been worse than you thought they were going to be? You mentioned Atlanta. Would that be, would that be an obvious choice? Uh, yeah, th- I think that's um, maybe that's the, the go-to. I would also include Minnesota. Now, I expected the Vikings to regress um, from last year, but maybe not this much. Um, and so – you know, going into this, this season, you know, they have a decent track record under Mike Zimmer, but I just, uh, you don't trade away Stefan Diggs. You don't replace three fifths of your starting secondary and, and continue to kind of uh, toy around lightly with the offensive line and expect everything to be, you know, uh, sunshine and rainbows. And it's been very much the opposite of that. You know, they might uh, talk themselves into kind of a little bit of a comeback after beating the Packers, but I, I'm still, uh, I guess I would buy the Vikings opponents uh, for the rest of this year. Um, I just, I think they've, they've underwhelmed and I think it, it does raise, it should raise questions about that whole trio between Kirk Cousins, Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman moving forward. And you all at CBS sports have released your midseason predictions. Uh, you guys have a midseason prediction update on offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, coach of the year, Super Bowl MVP. Let me get to the big one, Super Bowl. Who do you have now as your Super Bowl participants and ultimately the Super Bowl champ now that we've got half a season under our belt? Yeah, so for me, I, I went more with the, the fun option uh, rather than maybe what I would, you know, if it really comes down to it, you know, I think the, I think the Chiefs, I think the Steelers make a, a lot of sense. I think that you could easily see the Packers or the Seahawks in the Super Bowl, but I went with uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just because, you know, they weren't, they certainly weren't perfect um, beating the Giants, but it, it just, to me, adding Antonio Brown to that offense, um, I mean, Tom Brady's going to be able to play point guard with so many weapons once Chris Godwin is back. You know, Gronk, he doesn't necessarily scare you right now, but Godwin has produced. Mike Evans, even though the chemistry hasn't been totally there, uh, he's, he's produced as well. I think adding Antonio Brown, I mean, say what you want about him off the field, but I think on the field, um, the, the number one wide receiver production is going to be there. And then you look at Todd Bull's defense, um, probably still doesn't necessarily get the credit it deserves. So I think um, they're just a fun – I mean, imagine – I was thinking the other day about a Steelers-Buccaneers Super Bowl. Mm. Imagine Tom Brady. They, they get to go up against Brady in the Super Bowl rather than the AFC Championship, and then you got to face A.B., your yeah. old player. Oh, wow. That'd be <laughs> Yeah, NFL writers would enjoy that storyline, right? I think that's something they would that would get mentioned. Sure. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I yeah. <laughs> I think that'd be a big one. But I do I do legitimately think, I mean, any of Green Bay, New Orleans, um, I think that they're, you know, they're the easy picks right now. Yeah. So 
Roger that. Well, let's listen, folks, make sure you're reading everything that Cody Benjamin is doing over at CBS Sports. Just give him a follow on the old timeline at Cody J. Benjamin. Make sure you don't miss a thing that Cody has coming your way here for the second half of the NFL season. Cody, thanks for coming back on Eye on the Enemy, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for having me, John. It was fun. Well, up next, I'm going to give you my predictions for the second half of the Eagles season, plus go over the things I am proud of that I got right and ashamed that I got wrong heading into this NFL season. Coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. So as we are at the midway point, it's a good time to be a little reflective of how we thought this NFL season was going to go and to look ahead specifically at the second half of the Eagles season and the schedule coming up and uh, where this team might finish here in the NFC East. So first, the thing I'm most proud that I got right before this season was that the San Francisco 49ers would struggle. I say this going into every season and Whenever you're talking about a team that has not been the New England Patriots, the old adage that the Super Bowl losing team suffers a hangover the following season is true. We saw it last year with the Rams. We're seeing it this year again with the 49ers. Now, that's a team that's dealt with injuries all over the place, but I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but that happens a lot with these teams, whether it's in the AFC or the NFC, that lose the Super Bowl. They come back the next season, and they're not as physically sound as they were the previous season. They don't have the same kind of health that they did, because part of what getting to a Super Bowl encompasses is staying healthy, and it's just hard for an NFL team to repeat that the following year. And we have certainly seen that with San Francisco. And as I also said in the preseason, they play in the toughest division in football. The NFC West is a meat grinder. I mean, they are four and four, which is respectable, but they're in last place behind the six and one Seahawks who have the NFL MVP on their team in Russell Wilson. And the Seahawks have finally decided to let Russell cook and just let him win games for them. And that's exactly what he's doing. The five and two Cardinals, a team that I also predicted would be much better this year. Kyler Murray is an exciting young quarterback. They've got what appears to be a good coaching staff there. They've got lots of talent on that team, a pretty good defense. The Cardinals are a legitimately good team. They might slide back a little bit here in the second half because, again, when you're playing in the NFC West, it it is a rough road to travel. And that is a young quarterback, and that is a young team. But I think the Cardinals are quite good. I think they're better than the 49ers. And then you have the Rams, who were bound to improve a little bit this year after their hangover season last season. Sean McVay's Rams are 5-3, and three, and we've seen them look very good against your Philadelphia Eagles earlier this season. They appear to be bouncing back just a little bit, trying to reconfigure themselves in a in a world without Todd Gurley. I still don't believe in Jared Goff. I think Jared Goff is, is as up and down, if not more so, than... And Carson Wentz, he has looked good on occasion, but there are times also that Jared Goff looks absolutely awful. And so I'm not a Goff guy, but I think that he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think the Rams are better. Well, I wouldn't say they're better coached because Kyle Shanahan's a fantastic coach. But with the Rams and the 49ers, they're very similar. I could see them flip-flopping spots here. And one of those teams could make the postseason this year. 
But the 49ers are not one of the NFC's best teams here in 2020, which I predicted going into the season. And it's one of the things that I am most proud of. The Super Bowl loser hangover. Again, when you're not talking about the New England Patriots, it is a real thing. And once again this year, it cannot be denied. Now, the thing that I got most wrong heading into the 2020 season was that Tom Brady was washed. I thought for sure, and I also said the same thing about Ben Roethlisberger, and I was wrong about both of those guys. Uh, those guys might actually meet, meet up in the Super Bowl, as you, uh, as you heard uh, Cody mention just a few minutes ago. I got both of those guys very much wrong, and uh, as a result, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are better than I thought. I looked at that team as a team that went out and got Brady and got Gronk and got some other guys, and I thought, are we looking at another potential Eagles dream team type scenario? Well, that has not been the case. Tampa Bay is fantastic. Bruce Arians is a really good coach, and Tom Brady is far from washed. He is fourth in the NFL in passing yards. He's ninth in QB rating at 103.1. He's third in touchdown passes with 20, and he only has four interceptions this season. So as a result, if the season ended today, the 6-2 Buccaneers would be the number two seed in the NFC playoffs, half a game behind the Seahawks. Now remember, these are expanded playoffs. So only the top seed in each conference gets the bye. Tampa would have to play in the wild card round. And so getting that one seed, trying to leapfrog over Seattle, is going to be a big deal for Tampa Bay as they go through the second half of the season. Just a reminder, as I was looking at the standings, it shocked me still to see Philadelphia there at the number four seed getting a home playoff game in the wild card round. The Eagles would host the number five seed Saints at Lincoln Financial Field if the season ended today. Now, the most surprising Eagles so far this season, as we as we bring this back in-house, we're going to look at the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball because it, it's, it's obvious Travis Fulgham is the most surprising Eagle this year. What he has done since coming to the team in Week 4 and, and getting regular starting time is, is phenomenal. He is PPR's number one fantasy wide receiver 90, with a 96.5 rating. Uh, Devontae Adams and DK Metcalf are both behind him. But even if, you're just, even if you're just looking at the raw numbers, he has the most receiving yards of any player in the NFL since week four when Travis Fulgham started playing. 435 yards since week four. George Kittle is second at 430 with T. Higgins and uh, Robbie Anderson both right behind him. He has 29 catches for 435 yards and four touchdowns downs since debuting for the Eagles in week four. Again, more fantasy points, 96.5 than every other wide receiver in the NFL since that time. And I know a lot of you guys care a lot about, about those fantasy points. He's the first Eagles player ever to go over 70 yards in each of his first four games in the NFL. So what we are seeing from Travis Fulgham is just something we haven't seen from a Philadelphia Eagles player really ever. He was, remember, he was a walk-on with Old Dominion. He was cut by the Lions on August 9th. He was cut by the Packers on August 19th. And lest you think that Howie Roseman knew what he had in Travis Fulgham, he was cut by the Eagles on September 3rd. He managed to clear waivers and was signed back to the practice squad and then was promoted to the active roster on October 3rd. But Let's not let's not pretend like Howie Roseman knew what they had in Travis Fulgham all along, like that he was that he was skimming the the waiver wires for these diamonds in the rough and and knew what he had there. It's been a complete surprise. It's been a wonderful surprise, and every team needs a surprise like that to have a good season. And the Eagles aren't having a good season yet, but 
if it does end up being a good season here in the second half, Travis Fulgham will probably be the big reason why that's the case. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, Brandon Graham has to be the most surprising eagle. He could have the first double-digit sack season of his career this year. Seven sacks in eight games for Brandon Graham. He has a sack in five games this year, so he's he spread his sacks out a little bit. Two forced fumbles, 21 solo tackles. This is his best season. He's having his best season at age 32, and he is one of the few veteran Eagles players who has managed to stay healthy and is producing here in 2020. So I wanted to make sure we give Brandon Graham a little shout-out here on the podcast. The most disappointing Eagle, non-Carson Wentz division, because obviously Carson Wentz is the most disappointing Eagles player this year, has to be Zach Ertz. Six games for Zach Ertz. He's hurt now. 24 catches on 45 targets. Think about that. He's only caught the ball just shy of just a little over half of his targets, 24 on 45 uh, targets for 178 yards and just one touchdown for Zach Ertz so far this season. If you're looking for one of the big reasons why this offense has struggled, it's somehow, in some way, the, the coaching staff and Wentz have not been able to figure out a way to get Zach Ertz the football. And, and maybe it rests on Zach Ertz's shoulders. I mean, he know, we know that he's been wanting a contract extension. How much of that is playing into his struggles? How much of that is hurting his play on the field? It might be none. It just might be a weird confluence of events. It might be some bad luck. It might be some nagging injury stuff. It could be any number of different things. But whatever the reason, Zach Ertz, who has long been one of the most dependable targets on this team, You wonder if this is age catching up with him or if this is just a weird, fluky first half of a season. We will get a better idea when he returns from injury coming up here in a couple of weeks. All right, to finish off the podcast, some Eagles predictions for the second half of the season. Travis Fulgham will pass 1,000 yards receiving and will make the Pro Bowl. As a, as a rookie receiver here for the Philadelphia Eagles, I don't see, I don't see why Fulgham's productivity should slow down in any way, shape, or form here over the second half. TJ Edwards has been really good at the linebacker position, making plays in the run game and with blitzing. Again, he's a liability in the passing game, but show me an Eagles linebacker who isn't. At least TJ Edwards manages to make the tackles that are there. He plays sound sound defensive football in the run game and with blitzing and so he I predict he'll be one of PFF's highest graded linebackers by season's end maybe a top a top 10 or a top 15 linebacker by the end of the season and the Eagles needed somebody in the middle of that defense who can stop a runner I mean, it just, it's, and I hope Sean Bradley gets on the field a little bit more here in the second half. Hopefully the Eagles can use the bye week to get the defense and to get Sean Bradley a little bit more time on the field, get the defense a little bit more tightened up, especially at the linebacker position. I do think Carson Wentz has been the most disappointing quarterback and maybe the most disappointing player in the entire NFL in the first half. He has had to deal with a lot of injuries. He's had to deal with a coaching staff shakeup. I don't think he has served well by having Press Taylor, a good friend, as his quarterback's coach. I don't think he's challenged enough. I think he's coddled. I think all of those things are true. I still think Carson Wentz is a good football player. Now, that's not to say that he shouldn't have been benched during the Dallas game. I was one of the people calling for him to be benched because sometimes it's good for a quarterback to get benched and to realize that you don't own this job. This job is yours as long as you can produce. And when you're turning the ball over four times against the worst defense in the NFL, a defense that had only forced three turnovers all season, it's time to sit down. Now, he came back and led the the go-ahead drive 
just after his fourth turnover. So I guess kudos to Doug Peterson and the and the offensive coaching staff for keeping him in the game. But his leash cannot be much longer. If he struggles again, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world for him to sit. Now, that might not be great for talk radio. It might create a little bit of a quarterback controversy. But, you know, the Eagles had to sit Donovan McNabb in 2008. And then the Eagles went on a late season run and went on a playoff run. Now, McNabb only lasted one more season with the Eagles after that. But nonetheless, it helped that season. It could help Carson Wentz to stop and reevaluate and realize that even though he was paid like the franchise quarterback, the Eagles have to do whatever they have to do in order to get him to play better. And that may be one of the tools they have left in the toolbox. I don't think it's going to come down to that here in the second half. I think Wentz will show a dramatic improvement in the second half of the season. I think the bye week will allow the coaching staff, the offensive coaching staff, and the players, and Carson Wentz to get on the same page. Because this team needs an identity. This offense needs to figure out what they're good at and then to do it. They've tried a whole bunch of stuff. They've tried to, you know, in a lot of these games, some, you know, when they, when it almost seems as though this team has had such a lack of, of downfield playmakers that when one of them comes back into the lineup, it's as if the Eagles coaching staff feels like they have to force the ball down the field. They, they've got this new toy and they just have to use it. Listen, use Jalen Rager in, in an appropriate way. Take your shots down the field, but there's got to be some cohesion with the offense. You've got to figure out what you're good at. Figure out what it is you do well, and then work, work your tail off on doing that. Make it simpler. Make it easier. Get everybody on the same page. Make, make Carson Wentz's decisions for him. Help him not to have to try and play hero ball. You know, get, put the players that you have in a position to succeed. Figure out how to integrate Rager and Dallas Goddard. And Miles Sanders hopefully will be back, and that'll help the running game. You, you know, if you can establish a running game, you can establish play-action passing. Get the RPOs going. Figure out what it is Carson Wentz does well, and then just do it. Stop. It seems like the Eagles are constantly experimenting with stuff on the fly every Sunday. And it's hurting them. That's just got to stop. Let Carson go out there, do what he's best at, and have fun. I think the Eagles' offense will improve in the second half, and Carson Wentz will show a dramatic improvement as a result of that. I do believe Brandon Graham will get his double-digit sacks, and I believe the Philadelphia Eagles will finish over 500 this year and of, by, by doing so win the NFC East. I believe the Eagles will finish 8-7-1 this season. I think they win against the Giants coming out of the bye to go to 4-4-1. I think they go into Cleveland and beat the Cleveland Browns. I don't want to lose a game to Baker Mayfield. <laughs> I just I don't want to live in that world. So, I think the Eagles do go into Cleveland and beat the Browns to move to 5-4-1. I think they lose again to the Seahawks and Russell Wilson at home and fall to 5-5-1. I think they go into Green Bay and lose to the Packers and fall to 5-6-1. I think they beat the Saints, who I think are vulnerable. I think the Saints are vulnerable this season, and I think they improved to 6-6-1 six, six, and one by beating the Saints at home. This is, this is the key game, I think, between them being a winning team this year and a team that finishes with a record under 500. this Saints game right here. I think they, go, I think they, they lose to the Cardinals the following week at home, maybe a little bit of a letdown game. And again, I think the Cardinals are a pretty good team. I think they have all kinds of trouble with Kyler Murray in that one. And they fall to 6-7-1. and one. And then in the final two games, they have a win in Dallas against the Cowboys to move to 7-7-1. Seven, seven, and one. And then in a game that might be for first place in the NFC East, I think the Eagles beat Washington at home to move to 8-7-1 and, and win the NFC East. So 
I do think you will see a more improved Philadelphia Eagles team here in the second half. I think they will use this bye week to get on the same page, and I think that's going to be incredibly important. I think this bye came at just the right time for this football team to get healthy, to get their guys back, and to regroup. Everybody on the Eagles, especially on the offensive side of the ball, needs to regroup, get healthy, and figure out what they're good at to establish some kind of identity out there on the field. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks once again to Cody Benjamin for coming on the podcast. And just a reminder to continue to check out BleedingGreenNation.com every single day for all the latest Eagles news and notes. We're going to continue to churn out the content here during the bye week. So you're going to want to make it a place you stop two, three times a day so you don't miss out on any of the good stuff. And we'll continue to churn out the podcast as well here over the bye week and as we get ready for the Giants next week. So continue to go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. Leave a five-star rating at the Apple Podcast feed. Let us know what you think of Bleeding Green Nation. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy.